Welcome to the Sellernomics Podcast, where we share valuable tips and information in the Amazon and e-commerce space. Each week, we deliver the best interviews with some of the top Amazon personalities in the industry to help you grow your business. Today's episode is brought to you by Gatita, the global leader in FBA auditing and reimbursements. Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at gatita.com slash sellernomics. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Stanley and Lisa Kinski. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of Sellernomics. My name is Lisa Kinski. I'm joined by my co-host, Rob Stanley. And today we have with us another very familiar face and familiar name in the industry. You guys have seen him online. You've seen him in person. You've seen him I, I just everywhere. I wouldn't be surprised if his face was on a billboard somewhere, to be totally honest. <laughs> somewhere worldwide. Yes, exactly. So you guys, our guest today is Sebastian Hers with Zignify Global Product Sourcing. And we're going to be talking about how you can maximize your Amazon profits through diversified sourcing. So let's go on ahead and bring him on board. Sebastian, how are you? Hey guys, thank you very much for having me. And I'm happy I had a few seconds. You were, I was blushing. I was like, holy cow, what are you guys talking there? <laughs> Famous and Billboard was like, whoa. <laughs> I, 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 I would be I, very happy to see. And like I said, not surprised to see you and Yulia like back to back, arms crossed, very like Charlie's right? Angels for a product sourcing <laughs> somewhere. Like Canton Worldwide Fair. travelers. <laughs> we'll take that hint. We'll take that idea and we'll keep you updated, Lisa. Please do. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Lovely. All right, you guys. So let's let's jump straight into it. So um, we're going to talk about Zignify at closer to the end of the episode. But right now, you know, I would love to know from you, Sebastian, kind of the top three reasons that sellers should be looking to diversify their product sourcing outside of China. Well, one I think is very, very obvious is cost. Um, whether inside China or outside China to resource own products, um, in terms of you know optimizing the cost, whether it's for new products or it's also for um, existing products. Specifically, what we see a lot of sellers saying, the best sellers that I have, I'm resourcing them in order to optimize my margin on the Amazon products, whether it's for daily business or it's before an exit, for example. You know, a couple of months, keep it running before you do an exit. You make a higher margin on the product and you get a higher multiple when exiting your business. But in general, I mean, it never hurts to optimize your, your purchasing cost. In general, um, for for any of the running products, this comes, of course, along with maybe cheaper prices in production, but as well with um, shorter delivery times. Talking about nearshoring, you may have the products, you know, very quickly on a truck um, that delivers it from Mexico or from any other south. If you're selling in the U.S., for example, uh, South American countries to deliver it much much faster, but also to, to order smaller batches means you have less capital um, bound to your inventory for production because you order more frequently but smaller batches because production may be the same time but delivery is much faster uh, in especially in, in in comparison to to see um, shipment now the second thing i would say definitely is specifically for, specifically for us sellers are the trump tariffs so all of the import tariffs that mostly i mean the majority of the new ones they exist since 2018 when Trump started the economic war against China um, and having back then, I think it was a market of already $250 billion that were taxed or with import tariffs of at least 25% import tariffs against Chinese goods. So 
means one of the ways how you can move away from China is or one of the reasons could be that you, for example, would find the same product in Vietnam or Mexico or South America or other countries and may have 0% import tariffs. The record that we have seen um, in terms of uh, percentages, I think they were like up to 47 or 48% import tariffs. And when you translate this into business, there was one of our customers who had 27% before. He had an annual uh, order volume, which is a lot, of course, I mean, $3 million. But that turned into $810,000 saved import tariffs because he sourced the same product, same or better quality from Vietnam. 0% import tariffs. And I would go for the third reason. Um, well, for once, of course, to be independent from one country, but secondly, also to be independent of one single producer only. You can have always have a backup supplier, um, maybe even a second backup supplier, once for the reason of, you know, having leverage of negotiation, getting better um, prices and play with that power a little bit. But secondly, also to say if the first one fails or if he doesn't achieve the capacities of the product amounts that you would need, you have a backup supplier. I think yeah, those would be the three ones. Reducing the price, getting rid of Trump tariffs and having a backup. Yeah, having that redundancy is always super important. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you say up top, you know, because of cost savings to source outside of China, because that's, I feel like that's why everybody goes to China, because they talk about how low the unit cost is because, and this might be specific to like plastic injection mold items, because they've spent so long building up that industry there. Right. Are there any products that you can think of off the top of your head that are immediately cheaper to source outside of China. So like, I know India is really good on like handicraft and wood products and like, where do the specialties exist? Right. Um, I mean, I would say let's, it all depends on the country and it all depends on the supplier. So you may have even another country for a surprise, like a much, much lower price on, um, or at a lower price than China while other suppliers may still have a, a higher price. So this is in the end up to the factory, of course, to decide for what prices they want to sell it. So in general, I would not say that there is something that you could get in general because it's a product category, always cheaper than China. But you may sometimes be also surprised depending on what the uh, or how the country is grown. If it's, for example, rich on those um, resources or natural resources, let's say maybe a specific wood or let's say uh, some, whatever it was, specific um, uh, metals as well, or some of it where it could be foodstuffs, where it could be um, uh, cosmetics that could be specific, or it could be uh, cheaper in some countries, but not in general. Um, at the same time, again, you may be surprised if you take one example that was made a, or it was a product. Yeah, we talk about it publicly. Um, it was a learning tower for kids, was sold in the US. So one of the small standing towers made out of wood uh, yeah. where the, the kid stands there and learns with mommy and daddy cooking and helps a little bit. In China, I think it was was like $37. Some of the other countries, they were even Mexico. They were somewhat like 40 something dollars. So not too much more uh, or, or not much more expensive. But I think it was in Bulgaria or Romania where we actually found it for 30 euros, which translates into like $32. And we did not, to be honest, expect this to become cheaper than outside of China. But if you then look at the landed cost, this is always, of course, I mean, depends on how large is the product, how much fits into a container, how expensive is the shipping? Are you going with air shipping? Like for my own products, for my own brands, most of the time I do air shipping because I don't really care about the cost because my products are that, that tiny. They fit in a box, do them by air, 3000 products in one box. I don't care. 
Um, but if you look at now big heavy items where the delivery as well as the time, I mean, also if, if you think about, you know, running out of time, running out of inventory, how much does that cost you? The landed cost may be cheaper than in China, um, but for sure be cheaper, especially when you take away those import tariffs. But there's so many, so many variables in there that you can't really say it's one specific niche that could be cheaper. Yeah. And Sebastian, you brought up a good point on, you know, uh, finding a different spot could be a, a better price, uh, landed mm -hmm. price, right, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But what about challenges wise, let's say on one of the things I've kind of <laughs> seen traveling to some of these countries is uh, volume, right? If you're doing a lot of volume, for instance, Mexico, some of these factories just are not set up to do as much volume of a product. You know, if you're needing thousands a month or something like that, is that challenge also true in other countries or what have you seen? I expected a different question, but that's uh, that's why I was smiling. Um, the uh, the uh, for sure. I mean, you may find this anywhere. But if you if you hit a small producer, they may like a family-run business. They may, may not be able to produce it, but it may as well mean that there's a larger producer as well. Um, just because a country may be in a developing state of its economy. And you may hit a small one, there may still be like larger com uh, uh, companies producing it. So in general, if you imagine how large an industry is, how large, how many suppliers there usually are out there. And we typically look for about outside China, plus minus about 60 potential producers. So you find anything from, from small to large. But um, I think it's not so far, not really that they couldn't keep up with the capacities. The reason why I was smiling about is uh, when you come to uh, another reason for uh, what, what to watch out for when, when sourcing outside of China is that they may not answer that quickly and they may not be, you know, as sales driven as the Chinese are. It may be more difficult to get proposals or quotations from them. But again, if, if, if you notice you're hitting a limit with one supplier, well, what can you do? Get a second one or get a third one yeah. maybe even in there. I think... Yeah. Exactly. Us hitting the limits of a country's production capacities, that must be a very large seller. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. And so now what about, sorry, I also wanted to, you know, we talked a lot about Mexico and transitioning mm -hmm. from China to Mexico, but mm -hmm. I mean, are we also, what about India? India has, I mean, to me, a natural transition would be go from China over to maybe India I mean, you did mention Vietnam, but uh, what is what is some maybe benefits of going to India or maybe limitations of going to India? What have you seen um, on that? One of the things that I've seen a lot from U.S. sellers is that they say sometimes, you know, I don't much care about the shipping cost or the time. Um, the biggest concern for me is the import tariffs. So sometimes I also say it's like, well, you know, if you go even closer, you may have even shorter shipping times in all of those advantages. But I mean, Americans quite often, they are well prepared and well planned in terms of when do I need to restock. When you go to Vietnam or when you go to other Indian, uh, like to come to uh, the country of India for sure, I mean, advantages could be that you may find some products cheaper and or the same price. It is an upcoming industry, so or, uh, sorry, an upcoming economy. So you may also have quite um, good prices because they try to beat one another. Everybody is striving to, for success there. A little bit difficult as you may on the other hand then see is like, you know, the quality. Um, what the Chinese have understood over the last decades of being there for sales, of being there for service, of improving quality, those countries are still 
often in the developing states and for sure advantages maybe you have an alternative to china you don't have the import tariffs you may have cheaper prices but quite often it i mean if you just imagine that the chinese are very sales driven and active to be there and help you and get your products and make you pay and then of course produce because they want you to come back many of the other countries are not that far yet so they Got still it. need to learn those lessons in order to keep their customers and keep them happy yeah, yeah again, definitely had a lot of experience. Go ahead. You, you may have, you know, in some of the countries, they may have natural um, spices. They may have natural uh, different types of wood. They may have different types of raw material and or being specialized more, let's say, in if you go India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, for example, in textile production as well with alternative goods. You may find uh, alternative sources there and or other products, of course, as well, which Chinese not necessarily produce. Interesting. Gotcha. All right, you guys, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about when sellers should sort of outsource their sourcing efforts. So finding a company like Signify or maybe a sourcing agent. So um, we will do that right when we come back. Did you know that Amazon probably owes you money for FBA reimbursements? Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at Gatita.com slash Sellernomics. All right, you guys. So be sure to head over to getita.com forward slash sellernomics for that first 400 and FBA reimbursements free. We are back with Sebastian with Zignify. So Sebastian, I think a lot of these conversations that we're having, I'm, I think most sellers start out with a sourcing agent. Can you explain to us maybe what the difference is between a sourcing agent and a sourcing company? And well, let's just start there. Is, is there a difference? What is the difference? How do sellers find good ones? That's a very good question. I indeed like never had this question and uh, that gets me thinking about it. I mean, quite often people have a single sourcing agent um, where they may have a person inside the country. And again, I would never finger point at, at, at anybody or anybody in specific. There may always be advantages or disadvantages. A sourcing agent, as I would see, usually is one person running around in a country trying to find uh, producers or maybe very specific to one industry, let's say, for example, textile, and they know well the textile industry, and they may represent four, five, six, seven, maybe 10 companies. Um, a sourcing company at the same time, um, I do believe lots of sellers would also call a sourcing company more like a sourcing agent, or they would use the same terms. A sourcing company at the same time, I would see, is a company that is, for example, also outside the country, but specifically looks into either into one of the countries, and builds up an own team there, represents hopefully the seller, is hopefully not getting a percentage of the order volume, um, but is sourcing and finding or getting kickbacks from uh, from the producer, but is uh, hopefully finding them on a very uh, transparent way, where those may be companies that have several employees and are looking for several different products, while I would see a sourcing agent more of a single person running around there and most likely representing the companies they have good relationships to or who is their father, brother, mother, sister. So then in, in theory, if a seller is looking to diversify their sourcing outside of China, and if they're using agents, they would need an agent mm -hmm. in India or an agent in Taiwan or in uh, Germany. Like they would need to manage a bunch of different ones, right? That's That can be, I would get confused. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think there is like no clear separation between sourcing company and sourcing agent. I think some of our customers call us sourcing agent, some call us sourcing company. But if I would separate that, usually a sourcing agent would probably be a single person 
running around in one country where again the sourcing company itself like we have ourselves what like 18 19 employees inside china as well so hmm. we're locally there as well i'm to be honest not really sure if we would really separate the term <laughs> and then what what are some of the things that like what are some of your tips for sellers to find a reputable sourcing agent because we've all heard the horror stories so how would you what would be like your checklist for sellers to say, okay, be sure they have this documentation and, you know, this proof of business, et cetera. I mean, how would I go about it? I would probably, of course, look into a sourcing company, sourcing agency, what their, um, how their, their reviews are or who did they work with, which industries are they active in? Where do they have expertise? Um, have they worked with similar products like mine before or found similar factories for sure how do they charge i mean will i get the contact to the uh, to the factories then later on or will they keep it secret and they charge a percentage of the, of the order volume um, i mean the same thing how do you how do you judge you know a good reimbursement company if i look at this i mean for sure there there are a few on the market but you know getita of course has a as a, a great uh, reputation. I mean, and try them out and see what fits best for yourself. If you ask your friends and family, have they worked with this company? What do you hear about this in the industry? Um, I think those would be the main points I would be looking into when I'm looking for a partner to do sourcing with. Similar, like any other type of business. Again, I don't want to finger point and say any of those bad things other companies do. Let everybody do their own um, or get their own experience and say who is the best on the market, <laughs> who is the best fit for them. And Sebastian, you know, just I want to jump back slightly. You were talking about how sometimes from China, people will pivot over to Vietnam. I thought I remember reading something about like the U.S. catching on to that and starting to apply tariffs to other Asian countries uh, like Vietnam. Have you heard anything about that or what have you guys seen? Because I think that's important to cover. Nothing, I would say, yet, or not to okay. the extreme where you would say, hey, this is becoming an, an alternative. But the good thing is there's so many Asian countries, there's so many other countries where you can source products from. Um, even if that was the case, I wouldn't necessarily be super worried because, I mean, if you imagine, like you said earlier, plastics injection or, or molding or anything, I mean, how many other countries can do that? What you need is uh, a little bit of uh, experience and this could be in, in done in the smallest in the in the most remote countries, depending on how the, the economy is set up and do they get the raw materials? Do they have the machinery? And or if you look into I mean, there, there's there's not only one country producing one product. The thing that I usually say when I when I look at, you know, smartphones or heavy electronics or one of my own products is such a small camera cover, which, you know, uh, covers your selfie camera to make sure it is really closed, heavy electronics and small mass production units or mass production uh, mass produced units of small plastic components quite likely especially if it's cheap that this is the majority of course being produced in china or china related countries but now if you look also the chinese they very well understand hey we're being uh, fought we're being fought or we weren't fought against now look what the chinese do i mean they invest heavily into africa also years ago already, China invested heavily into Vietnam, building up factories there as well. And China is heavily also investing into Mexico. I think the largest uh, the electronics company I'm, I'm aware of is it, 
Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's a massive amount of uh, difference, but is it 400 or 600 million dollars that they're investing into Mexico to build an electronics company inside Mexico, Chinese owned? But, you know, I mean, free agreement than with the US. So if that is going to happen, they're smart as well to go into other countries, invest there and build your factories there. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. What would you say? Yeah, sorry. I was just curious, like, what would you say? We're talking about Mexico a lot. Give us a couple of categories uh, that you're seeing uh, that are really going to benefit from switching from China to, let's say, Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, in order to explain that, I think you can very, very often look into a country. How well is it established in its economy? If it's a country like Laos, or Laos and Southeast Asia, um, you know, they're still building roads, they're building highways, the main highways, we've been there ourselves on the motorcycle. Um, the main highways they have are, you know, gravel, big fat gravel roads. So they're not producing high end luxury goods. They're looking into, you know, concrete, cement, glass to build an own infrastructure and anything else that comes on top is further development. Look at Mexico, how well is it established already? If you look at the cities, quite well established. Um, but when you come to Mexico, I mean, you have plastics production for sure. There, you have metal uh, factories there. You, it's starting to have heavy electronics as well. Um, factories that we visited also on. I mean, it can be as simple as that. Um, where, where we did the Mexico sourcing trip last year and guided people through the factory, there can be plastics uh, or, or cleaning material, um, brooms, anything you need for household goods, chemicals. So it's an it's a country which is quite developed already compared to, of course, the third third world countries in uh, Asia. And look into plastics, look into electronics, maybe not yet that much, but you may look into uh, natural resource based products. You may look into textiles, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting. Great tip there. So, so pivoting the conversation a little bit from diversified sourcing to international expansion, right? I mean, it's kind of all international expansion, right? Just the front or the back half of the business. Um, you're based in Germany, right? You guys, you and Yulia right. moved there a couple of years ago. And I know. So home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Home. Um, I, and I know that there's a big interest in selling on you know, the German marketplace as well and Amazon, uh -huh. what are some of the key differences that sellers need to know when they're expanding onto it's Amazon DE, right? For correct. Perfect. What, what do they need to know as far as like consumer behaviors, um, price expectations? I mean, mm -hmm. what's the difference between German and American consumers? <laughs> price expectations. That's uh, one of the topics where I'm thinking myself, oh my God, my country, my people, they're they're so stingy sometimes, you know, not wanting to spend money. And if you go to a supermarket and a, a fully frozen chicken, de-feathered, everything ready to cook, sometimes it's $3.99. I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, this is so cheap. I mean, food over here, for example, when you go to the supermarkets, we can't really complain. So many things in Germany, I feel, are so much cheaper than when I come to the U.S. and you go out for, you know, just for food to a restaurant. It's like, holy cow, that's expensive here. And you add the VAT. And you add the uh, the tip on top where it's like, we don't have that. But um, if you look at Germany, I mean, it's the largest market in Europe, right? For Amazon. Now, secondly, the big advantage I would see, the second largest market is UK, where yes, there may be a truck and there may be a lorry, 
Um, but I think you can easily, you know, adjust the words, whether it's a niche and a niche between uh, UK and US, but you could go into two markets at the same time, pretty much with, of course, the right support of the other companies out there doing your whatever taxation, storage, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this would be, we usually say from Germany, many of them want to come over to the US because we see this market as 10x and mm. expect it to be smaller. But the good thing is even... If it's a smaller market, if you go make the move, you can bring your products with your thousands of reviews that you have already, and they'll be shown in Germany where you will immediately overtake, um, in my opinion, if you especially if you have thousands of reviews on your products, where you will overtake the local sellers. For the simple reason, Amazon itself says Germany is the review laziest country in the world. Um, we're fighting for getting reviews, and uh, we have a German saying, which is actually is like, you know, if you don't, uh, not having complained, should be uh, praise enough. So getting positive <laughs> reviews is quite tough, I have to admit. But if you take your products, you come over with the amount of review you, ha you have already, nice. Um, some things you should look watch out for is make sure you don't necessarily only use uh, Google or um, um, Depot or AI translated languages or sorry, words, because we have, you know, the, the simple thing is in German language, we have the separation between you formal and you informal. To you as your friends, I would call you, you the informal way. But if I'm calling and talking, say to Mr. President, I would use the formal you, which is very different. And that also exchanges even the wording and the verbs. So you can very easily, very quickly make mistakes and people will see that. And they know it's like, okay, this is not a German seller. Um, not to say that we're you know, anti-foreigners, <laughs> which we're famous for, but I, th I hope that's not the case today anymore. Um, people will see that this is not a German seller and this leaves a negative touch. Um, the uh, other thing that you should have a look at when you get into the market, look that our images look different from the US market. Usually I'm going into the US market, I'm looking at the market and it's like, how, how do they make so much money with such... Is this a family, fam family friendly podcast? I'm not using any swear words with such bad images. And I'm like, oh my God, if we would be coming over there and Germans focus a lot on great, great, great image, images because that is what sells. We always think when we go to the US and we make images like German style, we must overtake the market. At the same time, many Germans notice like, uh, 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 uh. we come over there with our images, we fail. So the... Oh get somebody who knows how Germans think and what kind of images they would like to see. Um, well, and uh, yeah, I mean, if you go into another market, if you have done Canada, Mexico, or any other countries already, you may, now I think you will see it more, you, you log into a completely new seller account. So make sure you see this as pretty much a full-time job as much as it is in the US, it will be, it takes time, it takes effort have local fulfillers and be prepared that this is maybe similar amount of work again, but it's yeah. a big market. That's, that's a, an interesting note about the quality of the images. I had a conversation with a gentleman yesterday about um, selling in Japan. They have very yes. different standards yes. for product imagery and stuff as well. And I, I wonder why that is, why we just don't, seem to care about the quality of image as much. I don't know if we've been desensitized and kind of uh, accustomed to lower quality with the adapt adaption of like social media and TikTok and things like that. I'm, I would love some a psychologist to chime in in the comments and let us know why Americans don't care. 
I mean, Japanese are really obsessed about customer experience and, you know, delivering like full solid quality. You can make a mistake, but you're only to allowed to make a mistake once. And it may as well be that the Japanese, I mean, I used to live in China and I was responsible for business development in Japan for the company back then when I was still employed. Um, and they, they take this to another level. I mean, you think Germans are anal about quality and stuff, go to Japan. I know they have a lot of um, focus. Uh, Japan and, and Korea, I think, is actually most famous for it, right? With K-pop and how they treat their um, the celebrities, right? And and yeah. like you said, you can't make any mistakes. Everything has to be absolutely perfect. Um, awesome. Well, let's let's move into talking a little bit about Zignify. We've spoken a little bit about you and about your partner Yulia, partner in life and partner in business. Um, so tell us more about what you guys do, how you guys are helping sellers, who would be a best fit to work with y'all, all that good stuff. She usually says partner life and in crime, but you phrase it to business. I appreciate I almost that. said in crime. I was like, oh, we, we just assumed it was in crime. <laughs> um, I mean, the majority of our customers are, of course, Amazon sellers, e-com sellers who want to build up their own brand, who have their own brand or who have an existing brand. And the target is to find, you know, producers not only in China, of course, in China as well but um, also in any other country of the world. That's almost, that's why, where is it here? There, it says global. Um, we do not source in North Korea, and currently we also do not source in Russia, but that's a different story. Um, yeah, and it comes to the point of like, you wanna grow your product portfolio to find new manufacturers to negotiate prices and or more and more people are coming to uh, us to say, hey, let's resource the existing product Target is, of course, same or better quality. Um, sometimes also not necessarily better quality because you may need to make another child under the same parent. And then, you know, all of a sudden, if the if the um, quality could be too good, it would seem like to be another product. Uh, but again, and to, to optimize the purchasing cost, to reduce the spendings, to increase the margin. And that either for daily business or for before, you know, selling a business. But we also have the aggregators, of course. I mean, some of the aggregators, they're working with us. Some of um, strategic aggregators or buyers who <laughs> come to us, of course, under an NDA, they target to find a buyer or they have a buyer already. And we go in and look for them after they have bought the business. Will they get the same product cheaper? So they directly want to know in advance, can they make even more margin than the seller currently does? And I think one of our most famous customers is Amazon itself. So Amazon has their own brands. Um, of course, I mean, I think 18 of them. And we do the sourcing for Amazon outside of China. Not all of the products, of course, hopefully one day. <laughs> but um, we do this in quite a few countries outside and quite a few products for them as well. And to them, it's, of course, very interesting to see how even the, the giant of Amazon is moving into nearshoring into other countries outside of China. Yeah, and for I think sure. they have a few more or a few more knowledge than most of us sellers when it comes to economical situations. <laughs> how um, how does the pricing model work when, when working with Zignify? How are you guys? Is it monthly? Is it uh, after orders are filled? How does that work? It is, um, we have no upfront fee. We have no pre-setup costs or anything. We actually charge at the end of the month or the beginning of the month for the hours of the last month. 
So we are not taking a percentage of the order volume. And when it comes to savings, this is a, we may take a percentage and negotiate something of the savings, but never, never, never of the order volume. Um, and you get the contacts of the uh, producers directly. So you could take over anytime you want. Um, we're not keeping them secret. So we're not gonna charge a percentage of the for the reorders and also not a percentage for the pre-orders. I mean, again, we're sellers ourselves, right? We have two on brands since 2014. We're selling on Amazon, we're selling on our web shop. I'm selling my products were in more than a thousand big box retail stores in Germany. Um, and we want to do it as open, honest, and transparent as we, you know, we're sourcing ourselves. I mean, we're all in the same boat. We're all sellers. We're all brands. We all want to grow. And we don't want to rip you off. We want to make, we want to build an honest and transparent business. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And and you guys can hear more about Sebastian's story. We did a prime talk with you a while ago, I think before my time <laughs> at Gatita. Um, we can link that. And we also just filmed one with Yulia as well. Um, so that'll be coming out in a couple of weeks following this episode. So you can get a full rounded view of how Zignify came to be in y'all's seller story. And, and you guys had a YouTube channel. I just learned this too, uh, where you were sharing your chronicles on the bike, right? Of your cross-country trip on the bike, hearts and pancakes? <laughs> that's uh, that's that's true. It's actually, yeah, interesting that you say that right now. My family name means, the German word Herz means in English heart. And Yulia, she's Russian. Her family name is Blinova, and that stands for Blin, and Blin means pancakes. So we're pretty much the pancake hearts. <laughs> but um, <laughs> True. I lived six years in Asia. She was 12 years in Asia. And then we took the motorcycle. And by the way, this is a proof for so many people out there. Independent business or location independent business. We took my motorcycle or our motorcycle back then from Singapore. And we rode home in 242 days overland from Singapore, crossing, I think, 25 borders. Made a, uh, let me calculate this in, 38,322 divided by 1.609. 20 almost 24,000 miles um, wow. overland in 242 days and been working full-time Yulia now we can say it she was even full-time employed back then still in another company and that worked and anybody uh, anywhere we had better internet than in Germany even in the desert of Gobi in Mongolia in the heaviest storm we had 4g internet so we was like you can work from anywhere in the world so if you're not running your own warehouses, if you're not running your own, uh, uh, whatever, fulfillment and stuff, you don't need to hold everything, guys. If you want to take that dream, try it out with two weeks, with four weeks, with a month, with two. If you really want to go for it, go for it. It's, it's, I'm getting goosebumps right now. It's, <laughs> it's worth a lifetime trip. Amazing. And you can work from Very anywhere nice. in the world. And with Zignify, you can source from anywhere in the world. So <laughs> Sebastian, where can they learn more about Zignify and reach out to you um, if they're interested in working with you guys? Well, well I guess the, the, the easiest is, of course, and to find more information is probably Zignify.net, not .com, not .de, but Zignify.net. Um, we're putting more and more content, of course, also on the web page. But on the other hand, uh, I mean, you find Yulia and myself on LinkedIn, on Facebook, um, but I guess for booking a call, the easiest is just signify.net and there's a schedule a call button, of course, doesn't cost anything. Um, and we'll see you wherever around or on some of the trade shows. I think we've done more than 50 trade shows this year. Yep. Um, that yeah, was a lot. I, 
I would love to see what y'all's Sky Miles accounts look like. You you guys are absolutely <laughs> everywhere. And and for you guys listening, Zignify is Z-I-G-N-I-F-Y dot net. And you can email Sebastian directly at Sebastian.hers, last name spelled H-E-R-Z at Zignify.net if you guys have any questions. Or yeah, LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok. I mean, you guys are everywhere. So um, Sebastian, we really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to speak with us today and share your knowledge. It's it's really, uh, really much appreciated. Thank you so much for the invitation. I mean, I very much appreciate it. And thank you everyone for listening today. If you guys liked what you heard, please be sure to give us a thumbs up, share your thoughts with us in the comments, subscribe to the show, and we will see you on the next one. Thanks for joining us this week on the Sellernomics Podcast. Special thanks to our sponsor, Gatita. Did you know that Amazon probably owes you money for FBA reimbursements? Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at gatita.com slash sellernomics. Be sure to join us again next week for more great tips on how to grow your business. And thanks again for listening.